You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America. I've got a guest, Brian Goldstein, on. Uh, Brian is the uh, director of Energy Independence Now. He also was the CFO of a hydrogen transportation technology company. He is uh, in charge of the Verde Exchange Conference and the executive director there, uh, which is hosting a conference June 19th to the 22nd uh, this year. And uh, he's worked with distribution networks of hydrogen in California and Colorado um, and worked on a California Hydrogen Business Council with a lot of organizations uh, throughout the state, SEMPRA, PG&E, SoCal Gas, Plug Power, Ballard, all of these uh, organizations are big players in the energy world. So, um, Brian, I, I guess I have uh, a, a lot of questions for you as somebody who is an owner of a hydrogen car for the last uh, four years. I, I've uh, lived this life of being in, in the hydrogen economy and, and know both its uh, strengths and weaknesses. So, uh, one of the strong points is that I, I believe it is a great technology. And as I read more and more about the limitations of mining all of these uh, metals that it takes to, to produce the batteries for electric cars, I believe that hydrogen looks like a better and better solution all the time because of uh, not needing to mine so many uh, precious and rare metals in order to... to um, to uh, roll out cars. So uh, without further ado, Brian, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. So tell us a, a little bit about your work and uh, the upcoming Verity Exchange Conference. All right. So uh, Verity Exchange is a great uh, here in Los Angeles, uh, run by a, a friend and partner of ours uh, named David Abel. Um, it's a uh, it's typically had a very local focus, but uh, we all love to kind of call it the uh, the Davos of, of the West, right? Because David is able to get it the most um, high-level speakers and participants in the conference. It's, it's just shocking every year how many leaders, you know, from the, the mayor of Los Angeles is there every year. The head of CARB is usually there, um, you know, local uh, Congress people, senators, state policymakers, city policymakers. So it really is a, an amazing convening of the policy community, the business community, including uh, finance and, and a lot of folks from the energy sector. Um, and it's really a rare opportunity for us to all get together, you know, right here in our own backyard in, in L.A., which, you know, may sound like a local event, but when you really look at the dynamics of, uh, you know, the state of California and then specifically L.A. County, we have such a, a massive population center, um, which is probably best exemplified by, by the port, which you might be able to, uh, you know, hear some port noises going on uh, around or sorry, going on around me right now. Um, the port of uh, Los Angeles, sorry, I, I call it the port complex because we have the twin ports, Port of Los Angeles and the Port of Long Beach. Uh, this is a responsible, responsible for about 40% of all goods imported in the United States come right here through this port complex. So that gives you an idea of the scale of uh, kind of commerce and some of the environmental and energy challenges we have here in Los Angeles. So Verde Exchange is really a good opportunity to get um, a lot of very high level stakeholders together on an annual basis and really kind of discuss solutions to these problems. So I'm really looking forward to uh, helping run the hydrogen track uh, this year at Verde Exchange. Hydrogen will have a, a very strong focus at the conference and uh, we'll cap things off by taking a, a boat tour uh, of the harbor right here at my office on, uh, on Wednesday afternoon. 
Well, California has been a leader in hydrogen technology going back to the Schwarzenegger administration where Terry Tamman, the, uh, the head of Cal EPA, who uh, was on the program last year and a great guy, uh, and I know you must know him and are affiliated with him, uh, had, had started the rollout of creating hydrogen stations here in LA, here in California, I should say. Um, uh, what is being done currently from the, uh, the current administration of um, Governor Newsom to, to further that rollout so that we can, we can have a, a stronger hydrogen economy going forward? All right, sure. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. So um, I know uh, Terry very well. In fact, he's sitting about 50 feet away from me right now. Uh, Terry started um, Energy Independence Now about 20 years ago. We originally uh, were part of Environment Now, which was a nonprofit he was running at the time. But uh, the purpose for creating Energy Independence Now was to really develop the hydrogen vision for the state of California. Um, so Terry, as you know, was the architect of the California Hydrogen Highway Initiative, and when he went on to become the Cal EPA secretary under Governor Schwarzenegger, he brought on Energy Independence Now to help develop the California Hydrogen Highway Blueprint uh, with the California Air Resource Board. So we went on to develop um, investment plans that helped direct uh, uh, spending for the state to uh, build out hydrogen stations. Uh, we co-authored legislation such as SB 1505, which required uh, 33.3% renewable content in hydrogen fuel sold for transportation. Uh, but the really cool thing about that, or at least the thing that, that I find the, the coolest about that, is we authored that legislation um, along with Union of Concerned Scientists back in 2006. So that was nine years before a consumer could walk into a car dealership and drive a fuel cell electric vehicle off the lot. So we've really been you know, looking very far down the road to make sure that we can create the most successful ecosystem uh, possible for fuel cell electric vehicles so that we can ensure that the fuel is um, as renewable as possible. We're, we're you know, a dead set on, on a 100% renewable pathway, and we're really kind of creating a, a glide path, so to speak, for the market to get there. Um, so we're really excited about the, the opportunities in this space. And look, Matt, at the end of the day, there are only two types of electric vehicles out there. There are battery electric vehicles and fuel cell electric vehicles. And we, we know that it's law in California that will go to 100% ZEDs over the next uh, 12 years or so. Um, and ultimately, we're going to need both technologies in order to get there. Uh, and the biggest reason, I could probably talk to you about this all day, but the biggest reason we'll need both of those technologies is because, excuse me, it's because over 50% of Californians live in multifamily housing. Everyone here doesn't have access to a plug. Uh, they don't necessarily have a garage or a dedicated parking spot that they know they can bring a, a battery electric vehicle back to every night. So ultimately we need to be able to provide uh, uh, multiple solutions that would fit you know, different aspects of, uh, of our population uh, in different parts of, of the state here. So hydrogen offers this communal refueling uh, ability where people can go to a, you know, basically a gas station and refuel in a communal way uh, like they might be accustomed to with gas and diesel vehicles. But uh, if you could ask uh, or respond to the, the uh, concern that we just don't have enough of these metals such as lithium and cobalt uh, in order to power uh, or to, to uh, work within a battery, uh, can you address that point? As a limitation Absolutely. to electric cars. 
You know, I, I will. It's a, it's a huge concern. And, and right off the bat, I'll say, look, I'm, I'm a fan of battery electric vehicles as well. We, we absolutely need both technologies. I mean, we're, we're in a climate emergency here. We have some of the worst air quality in the country, if not the world. We need every available solution to, to address those issues. Now, that being said, you know, I commonly feel like people are more concerned about where the $3 cup of coffee they're, they're drinking on a daily basis is coming from, whether it's their fair source beans, than they are concerned with $20,000 worth of batteries that, that they're driving around um, uh, every day in a battery electric vehicle. So ultimately, there's not enough lithium and cobalt on the planet to do what we need to do, you know, from an overall energy perspective, much less, you know, transportation. Um, and where I think this is, is best exemplified is in uh, the case of, of energy storage, right? In California, we passed SB 100. We know that we'll go to 100% renewable electricity uh, in the state of California. Other countries are following along, and uh, ideally the rest of the U.S. will follow along uh, shortly. But in order to do that, we'll have to overproduce intermittent renewables like solar and, and wind and be able to store those. Um, and to do that will require massive amounts of storage. So I've seen some studies that um, kind of Brian, predict I, I, how... I hate to cut yeah. you off there, but uh, you're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Matter, your host of Unite and Heal America. Uh, Brian Goldstein's with us of Energy Independence Now. And uh, right after the break, uh, Brian can tell us more about the uh, limitations of batteries and uh, how we can overcome that through the use of hydrogen uh, to store store energy off the grid. So we'll be right back. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. You're listening to Unite and Heal America on KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host. And we've got Brian Goldstein with us uh, from Energy Independence Now. And Brian was telling us a little bit about the concerns of uh, storing all the power that we're getting off the grid. And and uh, for those of us following the news, one of the things that has uh, transpired in April, California actually produced 100% of its uh, energy, electrical energy from renewable sources for maybe it was a day or an hour, but we're kind of gaining some momentum. Now the question is where to store that energy once it comes in. And, and Brian, maybe you can address that and kind of finish your answer um, that you were in the middle of when I had to go to break. No problem at all. So, yeah, I think of that it's ultimately hard to isolate transportation and mobility and some of the the dynamics kind of um, uh, surrounding the electrification of mobility without taking a look at at the overall energy system and what the requirements will be for us to to get to 100% renewable energy, right? Because at the end of the day, if we're talking about battery electric vehicles, uh, those are only as clean as the electricity that you're using to charge them. And ultimately, that's the same issue with hydrogen as well, which is why we're really focused on on, uh, requiring 100% renewable hydrogen in mobility. And as I mentioned, um, our 2006 standard was 33.3%. I believe we're over 50% renew- renewable right now. And to put that into perspective, we have about 33 or 34% renewable electricity in the California grid. 
Um, ultimately, uh, we know we're on the path to 100% renewable electricity because uh, the state legislature passed SB 100 and that's been signed into law. So we will have um, a deadline and over the next um, you know, 20 years or so uh, to meet a 100% renewable electricity requirement here in California. So if you take um, the sources of renewable electricity, like, like wind and solar, they're, they're intermittent sources. And let's just zoom in on, on solar here for a second. Uh, you know, the sun's shining, we get about you know, eight hours or so of, of really solid solar energy production on nice days here in California. So in order to, to move over and kind of carrying this example forward to 100% solar energy for the entire state of California, we would need to produce at least three times the amount of energy that we need at any given moment so that we can store that energy and return it back to the grid uh, when the sun isn't shining. So in order to do that, uh, you can imagine the requirements for just a, a place the size of, of LA County, right? Um, in order to keep the lights on, to keep industry moving, to keep you know, uh, electric vehicles moving uh, when the sun's not shining here, we will need to store tremendous amounts of energy. So ultimately, there's not enough lithium and cobalt on the planet to, to go 100% renewable uh, worldwide and to be able to store that electricity in batteries and return it to the grid when necessary. I've seen research out of the University of California, Irvine, uh, suggesting that that would require about 70 times the, the known amount of lithium on the planet and about 1,000 times the known amount of cobalt. I may be butchering those stats, but they, they kind of put into perspective what the requirements for those raw materials would be just to go 100% renewable on the grid. And when you carry that forward, imagine we have 40 million uh, vehicles in the state of California. So in order to, to be able to, to provide the materials for those and in order to, to plug in these vehicles, if they were all battery electric, it's going to uh, require additional electricity from the grid, uh, substantially more than we're producing right now. Uh, and obviously it would require more of those raw materials. Uh, so ultimately, we really need to look at all available technologies uh, to meet these goals because, you know, we can't just put all our eggs in, in one basket when it comes to that. So I'll, I can talk about this all day. I'll pause there and, and see if, uh, <laughs> if you have any other questions for that matter. Well, you know, I, I guess there there are tons of questions there. I, I guess I would say that uh, that's one of the beauties of hydrogen is that it is a good energy storage uh you know, kind of facility in that you basically you use the electricity electricity created from the solar energy and you then create the clean hydrogen and then the clean hydrogen is the storage uh, instead of a battery uh, in order to uh, say move the vehicle or power uh, the neighborhood or things of that nature. So that's one piece. And then I, I kind of wanted to pivot a bit to this Earthshot, which the Biden administration had announced uh, as one of its environmental goals is to create a kilo of hydrogen for $1 uh, per kilo. So how close are we to getting that done? What's being done? What else should be done, uh, both nationally, state of California, and, and locally? Nope. We're not we're not that far away from from that goal. I, I think the uh, DOE goal is to accomplish that one dollar per kilo by by 2030. Um, you know it, that's obviously not that far away. Um, and realistically, the price of gasoline is increasing so quickly that you know we would be at parity uh, with gasoline prices at around eight dollars per kilo of of hydrogen. 
Um, you know, hydrogen uh, carries, you know, r- roughly the energy density uh, of two gallons of gasoline when you consider the efficiency of fuel cell electric vehicles and so forth. So, you know, even an $8 kilogram of hydrogen would kind of equate to about a $4 gallon of gasoline. So to really shoot for, you know, and again, it's a it's an earth shot here, to shoot for a dollar a kilo would really put us somewhere around 50, cent, uh, 50 cents per gallon gasoline. So it's a, a an aggressive goal, but um, it, it's really a, a attainable. What I'd say is the most important factor in achieving that is just scaling the production of the technology that we need to produce clean, renewable hydrogen. So um, in the case of using electricity to, to uh, renewable electricity to electrolyze uh, water, we, we need electrolyzers, right? And um, this isn't new technology. The technology has been around for well over 100 years. It's you know, commonly in use for industrial purposes, for um, aerospace, for submarines. And the, the technology has been around for, for quite a while, but we really need to see mass production of that technology in order to, to bring down the, the price of it. Um, you know, so to, to give you an example of that, and this is going to date me here a little bit, but I remember when I was a kid, my dad telling me uh, about having to use slide rules instead of calculators when he was a student and how when the first calculators came out that they were like thousands of dollars or something like that. And he marveled at the fact that, you know, again, back in the 80s, uh, calculator watches were, were, you know, kind of a big deal. And he marveled at the fact that they had to spend, you know, for the universities, not the consumers couldn't really uh, afford to own these calculators, thousands of dollars for the technology that kids were walking around with on their wrist, you know, really like 20 or 30 years later. And, and it's really kind of the scale and the evolution of, of, of hydrogen production technology that will bring the price of it down to the point where we'll be able to commonly place electrolyzers in a distributed fashion and really produce hydrogen on demand wherever we need it. So what is, what's being done by the federal government, the state government to, to uh, energize this for lack of a better word. And, uh, and then also kind of weaving that uh, another issue in there that you might be able to comment on is the work that's been, been done in the city of Lancaster by mayor Rex Paris to uh, have them be uh, kind of a, a, a net zero community. And he has been a big proponent of hydrogen and uh, should other cities and the state be following that model? Absolutely. So to start from the top, you know, from, from the high level and zoom in, uh, the federal government has taken a, a very aggressive stance on, on hydrogen. Um, what they've realized is that, um, you know, hydrogen really is the connective tissue of our energy system. It's not necessarily an, an energy source or carrier that, that should only apply to one specific sector. Ultimately, it's going to be the most efficient means for us to, to harness renewable energy, to store it for short or long duration, and to move it to wherever we need that energy whenever we need it. So um, I look at this as, a, as inevitable, right? It's not a question of, of you know, if this will happen. It's a question of, of when it will happen. Um, and so I, I think, you know, the federal government has finally uh, adopted this approach that, that the hydrogen ecosystem, the new energy economy is, is inevitable. And so what they've done is they've put their money where their mouth is. Um, specifically in the Infrastructure Act, uh, it, it allocated about $9.5 billion toward uh, hydrogen development. Uh, $8 billion of that will go to build out hydrogen hubs across the country. So they'll disperse uh, hubs in, in different parts of, of the U.S. to really help kind of build up this ecosystem and to reach the economies of scale that, that we talked about earlier. 
And perhaps most importantly, what this does, and carrying this down to the example that Mayor Paris is setting for the rest of us, is it, it's sending signals to the investment community that not only is this now being accepted among the scientific community and, and the policy communities, but it is in fact inevitable. This is a necessary part of our energy transition. And once the investment community can see that, uh, we'll start to see private capital uh, flock towards, towards these projects and we'll start to see more of the projects. They'll become cheaper and we'll see an abundance of renewable hydrogen uh, and fuel cells and all of the technology that will enable the hydrogen economy. Well, that's something uh, that we should pivot to in the next uh, segment is what are the private sector, what, what is the private sector doing on this front? Uh, I know there are a lot of private sector companies out there like Plug Power and Ballard and, and many others that are, are, that are working in the, the hydrogen field. And uh, what's the likelihood that, that major players like PG&E and SoCal Gas and Sempra and these other traditional energy companies are going to join, join them and uh, push the hydrogen economy out further as we go. Because certainly all the uh, current utilities like PG&E and SoCal Gas have the, the infrastructure to, to move hydrogen through their pipelines. And, and my understanding is that they could do that uh, and in, insert hydrogen into our current gas supplies to to make it a bit cleaner going forward. So uh, we'll be back in just a, a few seconds uh, to talk to Brian Goldstein, uh, head of Energy Independence Now. Uh, you're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America. And uh, we'll be back in just one minute. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. You're listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America. I've got Brian Goldstein on the program, uh, head of Energy Independence Now. And, and Brian, we were just talking about uh, the hydrogen economy and how it has been blossoming, blossoming over the last uh, number of years. A lot of private companies have entered the fray, uh, and there are a lot of big players in the utility industry that are still there. Um, so... What what do you see as the future of, of how uh, private industry is going to bring hydrogen to the masses and, and how and what is the role of the utilities in, in doing that as well? Well, you know, I see as far as the um, private sector approach goes, I, I'm seeing a lot of similarities to what we've seen in the solar space over the last 20 years. You know, once the economics are, are there for the technology, uh, once the, the political will is there, the consumer will, and frankly, the, the need right now, which couldn't be, you know, any more clear from both a climate standpoint and an air quality standpoint, uh, we're starting to see the, the private sector 
jump in. And we're starting to see some really cool incentives uh, coming from the policy sector for, you know, technology that may be a little further out there. And we're really starting to see the economics change on the technology that's been around for, you know, over 100 years, making it cheaper, more efficient, mobile, so that we can do this on a distributed basis. So, you know, we're seeing some, some really cool developments in, in the private sector. Um, everything from the vehicles that, that you're driving around on a, on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, I'm not sure which uh, uh, model your fuel cell electric vehicle you're driving, but I, you know, I'd be willing to guess that it's probably a third generation vehicle from a company that's been developing these for at least 30 years now. Yeah, it's a Toyota uh, Mirai. Oh, excellent. So, you know, I know Toyota is firmly committed to this technology. And I think really kind of the, the interesting uh, thing about Toyota's approach is uh, they take a very long-term approach. This isn't a, a company that is really concerned about uh, quarterly earnings and, and what's going to be the impact of, you know, selling more hybrid vehicles this quarter versus battery electric vehicles or fuel cell electric vehicles. They're looking, you know, well down the road and, and really trying to imagine what it will take to transition, you know, their entire fleet of, of vehicles over to zero emissions. And they've realized that that hydrogen is the best bet to do that. And so, uh, you know, the the investments that Toyota is putting into this sector alone is really enabling this space. In fact, you know, over recent years, since the, the rollout of the, of the uh, Toyota Mirai and the Honda Clarity in 2015, we've seen about 14,000 light duty fuel cell electric vehicles, you know, come into the California marketplace. Uh, which is pretty remarkable, uh, considering that they're really just reliant on on the stations actually becoming up and running and reliable for for consumers to uh, to be able to go and refuel their vehicles. We're up to about 55 stations right now, and um, uh, we're on our on our way to 200, which is uh, the commitment of the state, uh, at least for now, to to build the first 200 stations to enable the marketplace. Um, so we're seeing some, some really interesting mechanisms to incentivize this development. One groundbreaking mechanism is that the, the state of California, the California Air Resource Board, uh, adopted something that we call an HRI credit, um, which is a hydrogen refueling infrastructure credit that essentially provides um, a financial incentive to station builders to, to come in and build the hydrogen station of the future that might have a little more capacity than these you know, 14,000 cars driving around the California roads right now we'll need because we're really planning ahead for when we'll have millions of these vehicles on the road. So, uh, you know, the, uh, the policy community and the regulatory community have recognized the need to help um, these companies overcome the need to plan for, um, for revenue in, in the future and need to plan for, you know, essentially where the ball will be in a few years rather than where it is right now. So um, mechanisms like the HRI credit system have really opened up the space and we're starting to see private capital rush into uh, developing stations here. Um, that's best exemplified, you know, there, there are a handful of companies here. First Element Fuel is a homegrown kind of startup right here in California that has uh, a lot of uh, hydrogen stations here, a big percentage of, of those that are open and are under development. Uh, Air Products is, um, uh, is a long-term player in this space that has been building stations for, for quite a while here. Uh, we've got Shell who's moved into the space aggressively, which is a, a great signal by an oil company. And we've got, um, you know, Iwatani, which is a mature industrial gas company from Japan that has just really made a, an entry into the space in the United States only in recent years. So it's really these mechanisms that we're seeing from both the state and federal government that are enabling this private investment to help drive the, the ecosystem forward. Well, do you see it changing where pipelines would be used instead of uh, kind of refueling trucks or is there 
Is there a change in the technology of the way that hydrogen will be delivered to the stations? Well, both. We're, we're going to have to see an all of the above approach. And it's, you know, kind of like what I was explaining with energy storage, um, with uh, uh, technology for transportation. There's really no one uh, type of technology or technology platform that's really going to be our silver bullet to kind of solving all of our, our energy challenges right now, energy and environmental challenges. Um, but as far as hydrogen uh, production distribution goes, we're, we're seeing the utilities lean heavily into that space. Uh, SoCal Gas has made an amazing commitment to uh, really evolving the, the future of their business model toward, um, toward hydrogen distribution. Uh, realistically, we can, we can inject hydrogen into our existing gas lines um, up to maybe 20 or 30 percent right now and displace fossil fuels that are otherwise, you know, going to, to feed everything from the heaviest industries to, you know, your gas stove or, or water heater at home. So you can really do that without having to change out, uh, you know, the, the end technology right now. And then ultimately, I think we'll, we'll see, I know we'll see uh, pipelines with 100 percent hydrogen. In fact, we already have some in, in California. We have a lot more in the Gulf Coast around Texas and Louisiana. Um, but, you know, whether it's moving uh, hydrogen gas uh, across long distances or really supplying the electricity in the case of the electric utilities uh, to electrolyze uh, water using renewable energy to, to produce hydrogen, um, the utilities will play a, a massive role in this space. And, and finally, you know, I wanted to mention the role of, of liquid hydrogen uh, moving forward, because liquid hydrogen um, has roughly uh, about 10 times the energy density of gaseous hydrogen. So, you know, if your Toyota Mirai gets about 400 miles range, you, you could imagine, you know, that the math doesn't carry forward, you know, quite as straightforward, but could you imagine getting almost 4,000 miles of, of range out of that car? Um, and again, you know, that, that's not quite where we'll be with, with liquid hydrogen, but that's really, it, it kind of helps expand the imagination about what's possible. You know, of course, that's not really necessary for light-duty transportation, but when you consider heavy-duty trucking, uh, that, that will really enable, you know, coast-to-coast -coast travel for heavy-duty trucks. Um, it will uh, really help us move large amounts of hydrogen around from, you know, maybe a production site out of the desert where we have high solar density to a very dense urban population center uh, where we might have a lot of in-use applications like, like the port complex here in L.A., and uh, just to put that into perspective, and I, I promise I'll stop talking here at some point, let's ask the next question. Uh, we have 20,000 heavy duty trucks at the port complex uh, between Long Beach and the port of LA. So imagine what it would take to line up even half of those, maybe 10,000 trucks to try to charge them at the same time. It's just simply not possible. We, we don't have the electric infrastructure. We can't get enough electricity here. We don't have enough physical space to line those trucks up to charge them at the same time. So we really need to be able to move this energy around and to be able to quickly refuel, uh, in this case, heavy-duty trucks so that they can get on their way and, and keep goods moving in and out of the port complex. Well, that's my understanding is that uh, hydrogen is probably a better fuel for, for even larger vehicles like trucks and heavy machinery. And uh, what, what efforts do you see the port and uh, just large transportation carriers and, and energy companies as well as um, manufacturers of vehicles doing on that front to roll out hydrogen technology to these uh, trucks and heavy vehicles? Well, the port has taken a very aggressive stance to cleaning up uh, mobile source emissions and uh, emissions from the maritime sector, from uh, on-road applications, goods movement, material handling. Um, they set some very aggressive guidelines for the um, operators and the shipping terminals to really clean up their technology. And so the the port's really leaning heavily into this space. 
Um, they're trying to create incentive structures to help bridge the, ga the, the cost gap um, uh, for people to be able to jump from gasoline and diesel technology to zero emission technology. Um, we're really starting to see some of the, the shipping companies and really the, the maritime sector lean into this as well. Uh, as you may have heard, uh, I think roughly 2% of global emissions come from, from global shipping, just basically these large container ships that we see at the port complex down here. So there are major sources of, of uh, both greenhouse gas emissions and, and uh, uh, particulate matter that, that you know, creates air pollution here. So, you know, we're really seeing the shipping companies start to understand and embrace this as well. And I think, you know, naturally we're starting to see the technology providers start to provide some solutions that, that will, you know, ultimately be scalable enough to address problems that are that big. Well, do you know of any, uh, which of the, the major vehicle manufacturers are actually going to roll out a, a, a hydrogen powered truck, for example? Oh, wow. Yeah, we've already seen them. Toyota's rolled them out in a partnership with Kenworth, uh, Cummins. Um, I think we'll see exciting technology coming from, from Volvo. Uh, there are new companies like Hyzon and Nikola that, that are starting to develop the technology. Frankly, there are just too many to name right now. I, I can't say that I've spoken with one representative from a, uh, an equipment manufacturer that is not taking a heavy look at, at hydrogen right now, because again, going back to the, the inevitability of this space, I think we're really now commonly accepting that across uh, industry, government, uh, and certainly within the nonprofit community as well. And I, I think we're starting to see um, technology providers follow suit. Well, I think, uh, Brian, that what you've, the word you've used, inevitability, I think applies to hydrogen. And uh, uh, we'll talk about this some more uh, after the break. You've been listening to KBC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of uh, Unite and Heal America, and we've got Brian Goldstein, and we'll be right back. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. You're listening to KBC 790, Unite and Heal America. This is Matt Matter, your host, and I've got Brian Goldstein of Energy Independence Now. And Brian, just kind of pivoting in our last segment to a couple of different things. One, that, uh, that uh, the hydrogen economy could be beneficial not only for the environment, but also a good business decision kind of related to uh, a number of things that you've talked about already, but uh, just that a kilo of hydrogen, uh, if we can continue to bring the cost of production down, would be cheaper than gas and also uh, cleaner than, than uh, fossil fuel gasoline. Uh, and, and kind of an example of this is what uh, Mayor Rex Paris has done in Lancaster over the, I think, been the mayor there for about 14 years. Uh, good policy decisions actually saving uh, the consumer's money. And I think that's something that is near and dear to everybody's heart, that if we can make this more efficient than our current um, fossil fuel economy, then that's a win for everybody, right? 
Absolutely. You know, uh, Mayor Paris has taken a, a really aggressive stance in, in making Lancaster, you know, kind of the, the center of hydrogen activity. And that's certainly his goal. And he's really taken very tangible steps to get there. And um, I, I think that's going to have a huge economic impact. And, and with the work that we do at, at Energy Independence Now, we, we work traditionally between industry and government to try to help facilitate the development of this ecosystem. And I strongly believe that the role of government is to try to really kind of fill the gaps that, that industry can't right now that might not be economically feasible to get us to the point where the free market can take over some of these technologies. And I think that's best exemplified by, by some of the work that, that Mayor Paris is doing right now. And I think what's also remarkable um, about what he's doing in, in Lancaster, he's really looking at a diverse array of feedstocks to, to produce hydrogen. Right? We're not just talking about using solar or wind to electrolyze water and just create you know, renewable hydrogen through electrolysis. Um, he's putting in the first of its kind pyrolysis facility with a really interesting uh, young company uh, named SGH2. They're using or they're planning to use um, uh, essentially green waste, woody biomass. Bio and I, I know they have a plethora of different uh, feedstocks that they can use. But I think, that, you know, in my mind, this is the coolest example. Uh, these guys can take uh, pine beetle kill, which is a major issue at our national forest, all the, the trees that we have to clear out that are already dead or dying and are, are really kind of feeding the forest fires that have become such a, a dramatic issue here in the state. And they can use that to produce fuel without producing carbon emissions in doing so. And you can carry that example forward, you know, from everything to, um, you know, paper waste, plastic waste, um, uh, green municipal waste. You know, if you uh, mow your lawn and, and throw that waste into the, you know, the, the green bin, um, you can ultimately use that to, to produce hydrogen and do it with a, a very low, if not negative, carbon intensity. So Mayor Paris is really kind of spreading some of the, uh, you know, uh, the love around, so to speak, from the policy community, really saying, hey, let's, let's look at all of these different methods. Let's create an ecosystem where we can encourage young companies uh, all the way up to some of the most mature companies in the world uh, to come in and help build out this ecosystem. And let's do it and become a model for, for the rest of the world. So I really applaud the work that he's doing out there, the enthusiasm that he has for it. And, and frankly, um, uh, the fact that he's just just really leaning, uh, you know, head on it into this space, really, he's really just not necessarily listening to all the haters out there. And, you know, this kind of comes back to the conversation that we were having about lithium and cobalt and, and this perception of, of, you know, hydrogen or fuel cells versus, versus batteries. I think it's a, a very, you know, kind of a American perspective. We're all just in this country, we're really inclined to pick a winner. It's just really kind of an American competitive thing that we've got. And a lot of people really want to look at uh, fuel cells versus batteries as this kind of VHS versus Betamax war. Again, I you know I'm kind of dating myself by, by saying some of these things. Half the audience probably doesn't know what VHS and Betamax are. But ultimately, we've got two tools in the zero emission uh, toolbox, at least in, in terms of uh, mobility and transportation. We've got batteries, and we've got fuel cells. So to really you know, think that we can lean all in on one of those technologies, and that's going to be the, the one solution that will solve all of our problems, is short-sighted, and, and I think ultimately um, would lead to our demise. And it's really my perspective, and I can say, you know, for the most part, uh, across the environmental community, and, and we're starting to see this across the policy community as well, that we really need to utilize every single tool at our disposal to approach the issues that we're facing with climate change and with the air pollution that's causing just really dramatic health impacts here in California and obviously all over the world. So it's with you know leadership from the Department of Energy, from President Biden, from Mayor Paris, 
all the way to, to Governor Schwarzenegger, you know, 16, 18 years ago. Uh, this isn't a, a partisan issue. This isn't a red state or blue state issue. Um, clean air should be a, a fundamental human right. And I think, you know, as you pointed out, there's also a, a massive economic opportunity uh, in shifting how we've looked at energy, how we've produced energy, and perhaps as importantly, how we've distributed and moved energy around uh, the state, the country, and the world, um, you know, from a model that's, that's 120 years old. So there will be a tremendous amount of economic opportunity there. I'm very thankful that the federal administration is, is really firmly focused on making sure that they can spread that opportunity around, um, that they're focusing on, on underserved communities and communities that uh, really need that, that kind of catalyst to spur some economic development there. Uh, and I think really hydrogen speaks to, to that effort so well because it really, you know, at least in, in the mobility and transportation space, it offers this communal refueling ability where if you live in a massive apartment complex or, you know, simply in a space where you, you don't have a parking space or a garage, you can still go to a, a centralized facility, whether it's a gas station or a hydrogen dispenser in a big box retail store, and you can refill in five minutes and be on your way. So, you know, realistically speaking, you know, I know I've mentioned that everyone doesn't necessarily have access to a plug, but people are busy and they don't necessarily have time to stop and park their car for an hour with, you know, kids in the car or groceries in the car or, you know, on their way from job one to job two or from job two to job three in order to, to wait for their car to charge for, you know, whether it's 40 minutes to an hour or whether they have to wait in line just to get to the charger. Um, I, I think that's an unrealistic expectation among, uh, of most of our population just to assume that they have that amount of time, they have that amount of flexibility, or that they have, you know, simply access to a plug where, where they park. So ultimately, I think hydrogen um, will really be a great uh, economic equalizer in, in the energy space. And I, I know for a fact that it will be the technology that really off offers equal access to zero emission transportation. And I couldn't be more excited about that. Well, those are a lot of good points there, Brian. I would say that one of the concerns that I have is that that hydrogen gets as much uh, attention from policymakers, the government, and ultimately industry uh, to make up for kind of it's not being uh, seen as front and center to uh, the solutions that are at hand for the climate crisis. Uh, I, I feel like that uh, the battery technology of electric cars has kind of been the, uh, the poster child for, for recent kind of uh, investment and development uh, and has gotten more of the attention. Uh, I just would like to see more of an equal playing field. And, and just from a long-sighted uh, perspective, I, I believe that hydrogen is a, a very good solution. So we should be investing more in it now uh, rather than just kind of the short-term I think the electric vehicles are, are rolling out more quickly. And so there's a sense that, hey, that's the direction we should head and just kind of forget the hydrogen technology uh, or put it, it, you know, treat it as an afterthought. And I feel like uh, it should be getting as much love and, and attention as, as the electric um, battery vehicle. So it's not that one, uh, and, and let them kind of compete to see which, which technology uh, ends up being the the most environmentally friendly. So I couldn't agree with you more. I think you know we hear these uh, you know kind of catchphrases uh, in the policy and regulatory community that it's not necessarily their job as elected to to choose a winner or to pick a winner. But at the end of the day, it, you know, in, in my opinion, 
as an observer, it seems a little more politically palatable to, to support a technology that um, is more abundant right now to support, um, say, charging stations that might be a little faster to build right now than a hydrogen station, uh, because, you know, the political cycles just don't necessarily uh, incentivize long-term uh, behavior and a long-term outlook from, you know, from our, our elected officials. So, you know, it's really folks like uh, Mayor Paris that are taking that at long-term outlook and, uh, you know, kind of casting politics aside and saying, hey, this is the solution that we really need. Um, in fact, we can't achieve our climate goals without these uh, solutions. And, and, you know, one way or another, I, I'm going to step forward to support this. So yeah, I'd love to see more of that leadership in, in Sacramento. You know, look, California is really kind of the, the birthplace of the light-duty hydrogen market. Um, the work that, you know, our founder and, and my partner and mentor, Terry Tamanen, did to, to create the California Hydrogen Highway Initiative was, was groundbreaking. You know, I think that some of the enthusiasm for hydrogen has kind of, um, you know, dwindled over the years in, in Sacramento. And I, I think there's enough noise up there right now where, where more and more people are paying attention. Um, but we don't have a lot of time to waste. And I mean, we've got uh, fires every year. We've got massive, you know, catastrophic client, uh, climate events. We've got, you know, just poor air quality from, from transportation. This is an emergency. We really need to respond quickly and rise to the occasion. So uh, I think this is a huge opportunity for the market. I think it's a huge opportunity for the policy community to step forward and to make these changes and to, to really set an example for the rest of the world. Well, Brian, I appreciate the great work that you're doing out there in the world, uh, promoting hydrogen and, and a clean energy world uh, through your Energy Independence Now uh, group and uh, the work you're doing with the Verde Exchange Conference. So uh, keep keep on trucking and doing that great work. Uh, you know, for all of us out there, I think that uh, one of the things I'd like to underline is the uh, limitations that we have with the the lithium and the cobalt and creating batteries. And we should, as policymakers, as voters, as citizens, uh, be asking the tough questions of how, what's the future look like? How can we build this out to scale and, and how we can do it most efficiently and, and in the uh, most environmentally friendly way? You've been listening to KABC 790. This is Matt Mattern, your host of Unite and Heal America. And we look forward to having you back next week. As you may know, your host, Matt Mattern of Unite and Heal America, is also the founder of Mattern Law Group. Their team of experienced employment, consumer, and environmental attorneys are dedicated to leveling the playing field by giving everyone access to the highest quality legal representation. Contact 844-MLG-FOR-YOU. That's 844-MLG-FOR-YOU or 844-654-4968. 844-654-4968. 